What's up, ladies and gents? Welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. As always, this is your host, Ben Pekulski, bringing you the greatest guests and the greatest information on the planet to help you live your greatest life in a body you love. And if you don't already know, by the time this podcast comes out, actually, uh, this Saturday, which I think is July 2nd, 10 a.m. Eastern, I'm doing a live masterclass on the hormones of body transformation. So ultimately, training, nutrition, sleep, stress, breathing, and environment, the six pillars of lean, healthy, muscular body, each of those has a direct impact on hormones or on gene expression or on something that ultimately influences your ability to transform. And my intention over that webinar and beyond is to give you guys a deep insight into how to control your hormones, how to make the most of your hormones. So ultimately they support your body's ability to produce energy, your ability to be focused, your ability to be lean and healthy and muscular for life. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bioptimizers. Bioptimizers is one of my favorite companies to ultimately help myself optimize. Specific things that I like from Optimizers that I think really everyone should be on, all my clients take their digestive enzymes, which specifically is called Masszymes, M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S.com. You guys can get hooked up with 10% off Masszymes if you head over to Masszymes.com and use the code MUSCLE10. And they have an incredible array of other products as well. Um, why I personally use Masszymes, two specific reasons. One, proteolytic enzymes, which is what Masszymes uh, is, are, is actually been shown to decrease inflammation. So inflammation we know is correlated with you know, disease or you know, the absence of health and uh, ultimate pain and discomfort and decreased mobility over time. And uh, by taking a few of these, I usually take about five to six, which is a lot, but I'm a big guy, between meals or away from food to help break down inflammation. Or sometimes I'll take three or four, even sometimes two or three with a meal to support digestion. So if I'm taking you know, anything more than six ounces of protein at a meal, as a man in my 40s, I actually want to support digestion by adding in proteolytic enzymes. And they have an amazing video demonstration over at masszymes.com. If you guys check that out, uh, you'll see how well this stuff actually works. It's really, really tremendous. Uh, once again, that's masszymes.com and use the code MUSCLE10 for 10% off. All right, ladies and gents, boys and girls, organifi.com slash muscle is where you should go to get hooked up with the best greens, reds, and ultimately yellow super juice, super food drink that you can find, or at least the one that I'm using probably about two weeks of the month. And I'll explain exactly how I do that. So typically with greens juices, I like to rotate through. I don't like to use them all the time. So I'll use a, about one to two bottles of Organifi Green consecutively. And I'll usually mix one scoop of green with one scoop of red, usually mid-morning, just before I'm about to eat. Uh, and oftentimes after I train to help my body get those nutrients that I need, I find Organifi to be a great source of multiple nutrients that my body needs. It gives me energy. I really feel like I'm doing something good for myself when I consume green juice. You know, there's days when you don't get to eat. There's days when you don't get to be perfect with your diet. Organifi makes me feel that I'm doing something great with myself. And I add the reds in there as a little bonus because it's so important for cardiovascular health. It's so important for muscle contraction, muscle pumps, erectile function. We want to make sure we get those uh, bright red fruits and berries and beets into our body to improve nitric oxide production. So one scoop of green, one scoop of red is a great way to complement your current lifestyle and make you feel great. Head over to Organifi.com slash muscle and use the code muscle to get hooked up to 20% off. And now back to the podcast. 
I've made two statements in the last five years about two things being the most important indicators of performance or, or maybe levers that, that everyone should know that could really uh, exponentially improve your performance. And one of them's HRV and the other one's breath work. And I don't, I don't take that lightly, right? I don't say that tongue in cheek. Like I honestly believe that an understanding, a deep level understanding of heart rate variability could be one of the single most important things you take on in your entire life. Um, and that's not just from a level of performance. It's not even just from a level of transforming your body. It's from the avoidance of disease, the avoidance of illness, the avoidance of heart attacks. If you're going to understand what's happening inside your body, HRV is one of the, one of the best objective markers we have to understand kind of what's going on at the level of the nervous system. So a simple way to understand HRV is you've got multiple branches to the nervous system, right? You've got the central nervous system, you've got the peripheral nervous system, you've got the enteric nervous system. So central is kind of spinal cord, peripheral, so spinal cord and brain is central. Peripheral is going to be limbs and enteric is kind of going to be like digestive tract, right? And peripheral also, they they all kind of tie into organs as well. So peripheral typically would, would have said, well, central ties into organs, but so does peripheral. And so an understanding of the autonomic nervous system is really a conversation around how the 10th cranial nerve, otherwise known as the vagus nerve, is influencing your, um, your organs. So at any one moment, your nervous system through your senses is perceiving your internal and external environment, right? So right here, my, my brain's perceiving this light. Uh, it's perceiving the temperature and it's making adjustments so that you're better suited for this environment. If I was to walk outside, it's cold outside. My body would adapt. If it's hot outside, my body would adapt. It would sweat, right? So your body's constantly dynamically adjusting. And if it doesn't adjust and adapt, that's a problem. We die, right? You go outside in the cold, your body doesn't warm you up, you die. You go outside in the heat, your body doesn't sweat, you die. So that's important, right? That dynamic response that that's going on beneath the surface that we don't even acknowledge. And so heart rate variability is really this measurement of the dynamic nature, the resilience of your nervous system. So the more dynamic and more resilient your nervous system, the more sway you can have in what you subject your body to. So if I go into a 200 degree sauna versus 150 degree sauna versus a 220 degree sauna, do I have the ability to adapt to each of those and how quickly, right? If I go into like a, an ice tub or uh, into the Arctic cold, do I have the ability to adapt? Will my body actually warm me up? Will it cool me down? This is an example, right? And so let's say if I go to lift a 500 pound weight, does my body have the ability to turn on? And if it does, does it stay turned on or does it come off, right? So we don't want to uh, in the case of Dave saying you're, uh, uh, you know, the equivalent of a SWAT, we don't want to have to go into a circumstance, whatever that may be. Let's say you're even driving your car, somebody cuts you off, your sympathetic nervous system goes into high alert because you're about to, you, you almost died. You don't want to stay there, right? So a healthy nervous system is one that can be subjected to something and then comes right down, right? An unhealthy nervous system will be one that is subjected to something and stays elevated. Example, we've all seen somebody walk up a couple of flights of stairs they're walking up the stairs and they're still breathing five minutes later. That's a really poorly adapted nervous system, right? You shouldn't be uh, ad adapting and staying in that state. The whole point is we want to be able to turn up and turn down. And here's the crazy thing. Even though autonomic indicates it's not under our control, in fact, it is very much under our control if you learn to control it. 
very much like your bicep can be learned to mentally contract, right? So I can throw something at you. You can contract it with your, you can hold, you can catch it with your biceps with with an instinctive response. Your body will instinctively do it. Or you could eventually learn to contract the bicep without needing anything externally to help you, right? Or to um, cue you. So the, the autonomic nervous system is no different. It's going to respond to what you're subjecting it to. It's going to. But we want to then learn to control it. Because if I'm in a situation, let's say, well, life currently has stresses that are perceived by the brain that may not be stresses that you want to exist in, right? Example, getting, getting cut off in a car. Well, I don't want to be stressed out. I want to be able to take my body back into a normal state, right? I want to be able to train hard and leave and not still be this really wired, uh, aggressive person because it doesn't suit the situation. We want to be able to be dynamic, right? This conversation around anti-fragility means adaptable my body is to high amounts of stress and it adapts so quickly that it actually gets better. Subject my body to stress and it takes multiple days to recover then it's probably going to you know, not be the fastest adaptation. So what we want to do ultimately is we want to be able to subject our body to huge amounts of stress, massive amounts of stress ultimately, and recover like that. So I'll tell you what, the way that this muscle intelligence transformation method works, and when it works, it's most effective, is when we can subject you to the greatest amount of stress possible and you can recover from it. Right. So here's how I approach a transformation. I'll give you the 30 second, you know, Coles Notes version synopsis. So most people, when they come into a body transformation, you guys have heard me say this. The, the typical protocol is, hey, we're going to train more, we're going to do more cardio, we're going to cut your calories. That doesn't work because it may work for a short period of time. It always works for a short period of time, but then it stalls and everyone goes, what do I do now? And the only answer is more training, more cardio, and less food. And that's always a dead end. Right. So within what we do, we're going to, in the beginning, subject you to um, modalities that increase your body's ability to recover, increase this autonomic uh, balance, right? The, the increase your HRV ultimately. So we're going to teach your, you and your body, consciously and unconsciously, to be more adaptive to stress. So we want to be more adaptive to stress so that we can subject you to more volume of total stress and your body can actually tolerate it, right? So the first phase of everyone's transformation is introducing lifestyle interventions to help you ultimately transform, right? Because in the first month, if I negligently dump a bunch of training on you, and your body can't adapt and recover, then what's going to happen? You probably aren't going to respond. You probably aren't going to grow. You're probably going to get more inflamed, more insulin resistant. Your sleep's going to go to crap. You're going to feel anxious and tired. Your perceived well-being goes down, right? So one of the first, one of the most common statements I get from my clients and we get from you guys in the first month is I just feel better. I'm not sure why, but I feel better. I'm sleeping better, I'm recovering better. My brain works better. Yeah, because we're making you more adaptive to stress. Right? That's a big part of what we do and what we teach is helping you be more adaptive to stress. And that's the point of today's webinar. So hopefully by the end of today, really quickly, we'll be, and I'm not going to do, do this for long, but we'll be, well, you'll have some interventions on how to improve your body's uh, ability to adapt, call it resilience to stress. So, this, this uh, topic is incredibly deep. It can be incredibly complex, but I'm going to do my best to keep it superficial in the beginning. And if you guys ask specific questions, we can go a little bit deeper into some of the rabbits. Okay. So a simple way to understand it, the autonomic nervous system has two branches, a sympathetic and a parasympathetic. 
And a way to think about is sympathetic, remember S, stress. If my body is under stress, it's like a gas pedal. My body says, hey, something is stressful. I'm going to turn on this aspect of the nervous system. So typically what will happen, the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis in the brain senses something that's stressful, sends a signal down the vagus nerve and does something to the heart. So it increases heart rate, constricts the blood vessels, uh, constricts the, the digestive tract and, and mobilizes energy. So it releases cortisol and adrenaline and mobilizes energy. Why does it mobilize energy? So basically fat and carbohydrate is released into the bloodstream. Why? Because it wants you to be able to fight, flee. Let's say, let's leave those two for now. So it's basically, it's fight or flight, right? We're going we're gonna to fight or we're going to run away. That's the stress system. The reality is normally, historically, evolutionarily, that would have been coupled with some type of movement. Typically, you're, you're likely to move, you're likely to run away, you're likely to fight. Oftentimes, that stress gets mobilized, that energy gets utilized, and then your body can go back into its, its kind of homeostatic place. Unfortunately, now we get stressed so often in current society because of many numerous things. We're, we're obviously existing in a world that's very different than we've evolved to exist in. So think about driving a car. No matter if you're a good driver or not, there's people on the road who are not. So you're always under a, a level of anxiety. The financial stress we're under, societal stress as far as like keeping up with the Joneses, like the, your, your job, your email, there's just constant uh, high alert, high stimuli, right? So your body's just constantly being bombarded with this sympathetic arousal. This nervous system just keeps getting this gas pedal, which means cortisol, which means adrenaline, which means mobilizing energy which is, sounds great, except when it becomes a mute signal. It's kind of like when your mom is nagging you all the time, like, hey, do this, do this, do this. Eventually, you stop hearing it. Same idea, right? So eventually, your body goes, oh, I'm just going to not acknowledge that signal anymore. And then th that turns into the type of thing where you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, I kind of feel tired. I'm a little lethargic this morning because the body isn't responsive to the cortisol that's released in the morning. Cortisol is naturally very, very elevated in the morning. So if we get a natural cortisol, cortisol response and our body's healthy, we should be most energized when we wake up. People are like, what? Yes. There's no such thing as like, I'm a night owl, therefore I feel like shit in the morning. No. You should, everyone should feel amazing in the morning. You could still be a night owl at night, but that doesn't mean you should feel poor in the morning. It's like people get that confused, right? People just take a little bit of information and they stretch it to believe what they, to, to make it believe what they, or make it be what they want it to be. So it's important to acknowledge that this system is always on unless we learn to consciously control it and intervene. Okay. And the other side, the parasympathetic is kind of like the brakes. It's kind of the, the system that will um, regulate or um, complement the parasympathetic or the sympathetic nervous system. So we think parasympathetics, think rest, digest, and recover, right? So the sympathetic system, the other one is catabolic. It's breaking things down, right? It's breaking down uh, glucose, it's breaking down fat. So you can have energy to do stuff. The parasympathetic is anabolic in nature. It's like rest, digest, recover, grow, right? And replenish. So the body's in this replenishment mode. So it's healing in the parasympathetic state. So when we're subjecting ourselves to workouts, we're training really hard, yet we're staying in this, this sympathetic place. So this stress place, how well do you think we're recovering? How well do you think we're adapting to the stress we're subjecting our body to? Very poorly. So therefore, these are the type of people who go, man, 
I feel like I'm training hard. I'm just not getting the results I'm looking for, right? Relative to the work putting in. It's a very common statement that we hear. Well, then we automatically know you're likely your nutrition is off. Likely your recovery is off. Your sleep's probably off. Your HRV is likely low. We know these things. So then us as coaches are taking daily interventions to optimize your HRV. That's really what we're doing. We're, we're going to try to help you be more adaptable, more anti-fragile to anything you subject your body to. Okay. So coming back to this parasympathetic, it's relatively simple, not necessarily easy, but simple to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system. Here's the catch. When you're in a massively sympathetic place, meaning you're just under a huge amount of stress, that's not the time to start learning how to create a parasympathetic intervention, right? We want to create a parasympathetic intervention when we don't need it. It's, you know, think of, think, I always, always use my kids as an example. Sometimes my kids are stressed, overwhelmed, freaking out, not having a good day. That's not the time for me to teach them a lesson, right? That's the time for me to comfort them and make them feel better. Right in that moment, if I had taught them previously, which I do, hey, let's breathe, let's control our respiratory rate, let's control our heart rate. All of a sudden, now when they're in a stress state, they have the ability to breathe three times and then they're out. All right. So coming back to this like sympathetic, parasympathetic dynamic balance. So everything in your life that is in any way stressful, to include things you simply don't want to do, right? Those things are all causing your body. So if we think about this HPA axis, right? The hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. It's, so there, there's a direct correlation or a direct connection between the prefrontal cortex. So our kind of animal, our, uh, human brain, and then we have our animal brain, the amygdala, animal brain. It's this oversimplification. But there's connections with both of those. And if I'm constantly being reactive through my amygdala, things that stress me out, things that cause me to be reactive, then my HPA is going to kick off cortisol and adrenaline. So there's this immediate correlation between my body going, hey, I'm stressed. I'm going to kick off adrenaline and cortisol. So my heart rate goes up. I feel a little anxious. I feel a little panicky. I feel a little stressed out immediately. It's an immediate physiological response. So anything that makes you feel like that, is driving the sympathetic nervous system. So it's ultimately driving breakdown of muscle, um, mobilization of energy so that you can, you can fight, you can flee. So Andrew, Leah, people doing um, things like jujitsu, anytime someone's trying to choke you out, you have to be, you want to be slightly aroused, right? You wouldn't want to be like just about to take a nap and someone's coming out to, to put you in a rear naked choke. You, you want to be slightly right. That's good. That bit of adrenaline actually helps with the learning process. So in order to learn more effectively, we actually want a slight bit of adrenaline, just a little bit. Um, but the problem is when it stays elevated chronically, then we run into problems like insulin resistance, like not being able to sleep, like body fat retention. So it, when, we, when we have stressful encounters, we want to have the ability to increase our adrenaline. But as soon as that stress goes away, a healthy nervous system takes the adrenaline away, like instantly, right? It should. So if you think of the best, this is an interesting uh, reality. The best pro athletes in the world are not necessarily the ones that can move the fastest or lift the most weight. They're the ones that can turn off the fastest because they can do it again, right? So if you think of like, uh, I don't know, like any most pro sports, like a football player, a hockey player, a baseball player, anything that's like a dynamic sport. Many people through the young amateur ages can go faster than the guys who end up in the pros 
but it's the guys who can go fast and turn off and then recover for the next time, right? And not only can they recover, but their brain can stay focused. If I'm constantly stressed, how does your brain work? Less, right? So we want to be in this like slightly, slightly more vigilant state, but not necessarily in an overwhelmed state, right? You guys see the kind of dynamic balance there? Like I want a little bit of uh, vigilance. Like I want a little bit of heightened awareness. Like if you guys have ever ridden a mountain bike or done something that's like an extreme sport, skiing, there has to be a hyper level of vigilance if you're going between trees. As soon as you lose that, you're going to crash. And if you get too stressed, you're going to crash. You get too tight, right? So that's what, that's this, this like dynamic balance of the, the autonomic nervous system is like learning to kind of, it's kind of threading the needle. And it's really just like the, the key is not spending huge amounts of time in this sympathetic overload. I used to make the statement as a bodybuilder, my aspiration was two hours of sympathetic and 22 hours of parasympathetic, right? So I want to be sympathetic when, when I'm in the gym, when I'm crushing it, like I want to be running through walls, right? I call it the warrior and the monk, right? When I'm in the gym, I'm a warrior and I want to fucking break shit. And as soon as I'm done, I'm, I'm like Buddha, I'm like, right? I'm Zen, I'm focused, I'm calm. That allows my mind to work more effectively. That allows my body to recover more effectively. And now here's the trick. We can access these things through one simple intervention, which I just showed you guys, breath work. So the, the inhalation is the breath of the sympathetic nervous system. So brings my heart rate up a ton. I'm ready to jump and pounce. Brings my heart rate down, calms me down. One breath, right? A really well-tuned nervous system is able to access the warrior and the monk in one breath. Again, you may not get there immediately, but that's the aspiration, right? If I want to be able to perform in anything, I don't want to have to like, hold on a minute, I need to warm up. I got to like go do some stretches and shit. A truly healthy nervous system is like, boom, I'm ready to go. Now, this is important. So if you're someone who's living in a chronic state of stress, a chronic sympathetically driven state, you can assume that your cortisol and your adrenaline are chronically elevated. So when you, you guys know adrenaline. So when you're done the gym, if you're ever feeling a little shaky, adrenaline. If, you, if you've ever just seen like an animal get attacked during a fight, shaking, adrenaline. You know, they go up and usually will go out and they'll shake themselves out afterwards. That, that like feeling of like anxiousness of like heart rate palpitations, that type of stuff, that's like an excess of adrenaline. Any small amount of that, whether it be anxiety or panic, that's adrenaline. So learning to control your adrenaline response is one of the most important things, period, to body composition optimization, to prevention of disease, right? If it's chronically elevated, your body's not going to look the way you want it to look, period. You're going to be have insulin resistance. You're going to be um, inflamed. You're, you know, you're going to be just, your body's not going to do what you want to do. So allowing those things to cycle appropriately is very important. Now, here's how we do it, right? You have to create an environment. And I say have to strongly. You have to create an environment or find an environment or find a circumstance that allows you to disconnect from the stressed environment, right? So if you go to work and you're stressed, you're in the car and you're stressed, you wake up in the morning, you're checking your email, you're doing something, you're coming home and even have stress at home, you never get a chance to turn it off you're going to burn out. You're, you're not going to get any results. You're not going to be able to think consciously, going to make bad decisions around food. You're not going to do your workouts because you're living out of your amygdala. You're living out of the, the reactive animalistic brain rather than the proactive human brain, right? 
So if you find that to be you, where you're just kind of always stressed and always doing stuff, you must create an environment. You must create an environment or a circumstance that you could, that allows you to, to unplug. This is the concept of meditation, right? And I say concept of meditation because meditation doesn't have to be the intervention, right? It can be, uh, I'm going to go sit with my feet in the water on, on the, in the lake, or I'm going to go sit with my feet in the grass in the park, but I'm going to leave my phone. I'm going to leave my computer. I'm going to go sit there for an hour in the sun and allow my body just to go. And the first time you do it, it may be more stressful because you're like, oh my God, I got this to do, I got this to do, I got this to do. But the more you do it, you'll learn. And I'll tell you in a minute, you'll learn how to get out of your head. Here's a secret. You can't calm your mind. It's an impossibility. You can't stop your mind. It's an impossibility. What you can do is get out of your mind and into your body, right? Get Stopping a racing mind is impossible. You can't stop your mind. Alan Watts, I quote him all the time, says, trying to calm your mind is like trying to calm an ocean with a flat iron, right? It's like you're going to hit the iron. It's going to create more ripple. You can't calm your mind. What you can do is take your awareness from here, which is often stressing about what you didn't do, worrying about what you have to do, so past and future, and bring into the present moment, right? So when we just did that breathing practice a few minutes ago, you, you were bringing your awareness into your stomach, right? You're bringing your awareness into breathing into your belly. You're feeling what's going on inside your body. That's a really simple practice to bring your, your awareness here. So what you're doing is you're bringing your awareness into the present moment. You're saying, hey, I'm going to think about only what I'm experiencing in this moment. So your experience of life comes through five senses, right? We all experience life through our sight, our sound, our taste, our smell, and our touch. Five senses. So if you can only experience what is now, so completely submersing your awareness in this moment, you can't be in your head. That's just created a meditative experience that gets you out of your head and calms down the nervous system. Is that make sense? Okay. So one of the best things you can learn to do is, is paying attention to your senses. One of my favorite historical figures is Leonardo da Vinci. And he said, the thing that made him a polymath, one of the most recognized, brilliant human beings of all time, he was a brilliant chef. He was a brilliant artist. He was a brilliant mathematician. He's a brilliant author um, and, and many more things, obviously an astronomer was the fact that he said he studied his senses every single day. And his ability to, to um, identify with the acuity of his senses, meaning like the precision of sight, the precision of smell, the precision of taste, touch, he said that's what set him apart from everybody else because his attention to detail was far superior to anyone else. And so simply doing that, think of how much time Leonardo spent in meditation you can't do that unless you're thinking about it. So if I tell you guys all right now, I want you to think about your fourth toe. Think about, put all of your awareness into your fourth toe. You're like, I can't do that. Like, unless you start like pushing into it, right? You can't really just like, but you could if you practiced, right? Same thing with like, if I say, put all your awareness into your biceps or into your lat or into your delt, could you do it? Maybe not right now but I guarantee you do it if you practice training every day. 
you can do it, right? And this is why training becomes this meditative experience because it's really cueing into your sensory system. You guys with me? Training while being a sympathetic intervention is our greatest opportunity daily to become connected with what's happening on the inside. It's a meditative experience if done correctly. One of the things I've started doing, when life becomes stressful, life always becomes stressful, right? And we don't want life to not be stressful. We just want to be more resilient to stress, right? We don't ask for life to be easier. We ask, we ask for us to be stronger. You don't want an easy life. Nobody wants, you don't want an easy life. You want challenges. You just want good challenges that make you progress. When something comes up, you're like, oh, I guess I need to get better in this. I'm not good enough in this yet, right? So if your body isn't doing what you want it to do, well, you're just not doing it well enough yet, right? The first time you played Monopoly, were you the best in the world? No, go do it again. Like, I'm not good enough yet. Go again. I'm not good enough yet. Go again, right? So don't expect your body to do exactly what you want it to do the first time you're trying to do it. Like, keep going. Get up again. Do it tomorrow. Get up again. Do it tomorrow. And one of the, one of the things that I've taken on is kind of a, a life hack. I actually didn't make it myself. If you guys have heard of Ram Das, he's a guy who I, I've quoted in this. And he says, every time he sees a, an obstacle come up, he sees like something that's either making him angry or frustrated, or it's like, you know, really getting under his skin, he smiles. And he says, I see you, Guru. So Ram, Ram Das was a, was a Harvard professor who moved to India to work with a, a spiritual guru. And when the guru died, Ram Das was just broken. He's like, don't leave me, Guru. How can you leave me? And he said, uh, Ram Das, I will never leave you. I will always be with you when you need me. And so when Ramdas sees these challenges, he sees like something going on that frustrates and makes him angry. He goes, ah, I see you, Guru. You're here to teach me. You're always with me to teach me, right? So in every circumstance, when things get hard, smile and go, ah, this is my Guru. The Guru is here to teach me. I'm not perfect, yet I have an opportunity to learn. Thank you. I'm not good enough, yet I will learn. Thank you, Guru, right? And that's, that's a very empowering way to come in any circumstance. Just fucking smile. Go, ah. I suck at that. I laugh. I need to do. I need to do better. Ladies and gents, here's a message from our friends over at Heroic. One of the most highly downloaded episodes of this podcast was with my good friend Brian Johnson, previously of Philosopher's Notes, previously of Optimize. Now his business is called Heroic, and the reason he called it Heroic is because we're all on our own hero's journey. You are the hero of your own story. And Heroic does such an incredible job of giving you the resources and assets and ultimately information and community to start to understand how to be the hero of your own story. I personally have gone through the 10-month Heroic coaching program, which was such a wealth of information, such a true gift. 10 months uh, and the cost of it is comically low for what you're paying, for what you're getting. I, I, I promise you. You're getting such an incredible amount of value that if you're interested in being a coach or if you're interested in ultimately optimizing yourself doing this 10-month coaching program, I couldn't give it more of a high recommendation. There's so much value. But right now, um, Heroic is offering you, offering you guys a 20% discount off the first year. And what's included in that app is just so vast. Uh, you're getting books, you're getting uh, philosopher's notes, so book summaries, you're getting videos from Brian, you're getting so much information. Um, so I highly suggest you guys head over to Heroic app. You can download it at heroic.us and use the code MUSCLE to get hooked up with 20% off your membership today. I'm curious. I hear, I hear a lot of people in the functional medicine space speak about 
the variability or the potential for variability in nutrition for women during certain cycles of the month. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Especially in the, in the fasting world, like intermittent fasting or keto, because you our hormones are our estrogens higher in the first part of our cycle. If we're, la- we're nesting, the uterus is nesting. It's like waiting to see if you're going to implant or not. And so you will hear this with intermittent fasting or, or keto. People will say, "Hey, look, for females, maybe don't fa- intermittent fast as long in the second half. Like add in a few more carbs." Don't be fully into keto as you get into that week three, week four leading into your period is the same, of course, but um, it can make your hormones. It can help you ovulate better. It can help you produce more progesterone. It can help um, uh, ease, you know, PMS by having a little more carbs, not fasting as long, not being in keto. And so I do hear that um, by some uh, of my colleagues that I love and trust. So for example, like Cynthia Thurlow and, and uh, Dr. Mindy Pels, who are female intermittent fasting, my go-tos for female intermittent fasting, they often say, hey, look, if you're after ovulation, don't, don't push it so hard when it comes to fasting and keto, especially if you're symptomatic, especially if you're like, I'm more moody, <laughs> my PMS is terrible. Like, why isn't this working for me? It's like, ah, you're, you're affecting your hormones. We need to back and that's up. That's regardless if you're trying to get pregnant or just trying to be healthy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, I just talked to somebody this morning um, who's not a practitioner. And she said, I'm 10. She, I said, how are you doing? She said, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. She said, I'm 10 days into a, a ketogenic reset. And I said, not to be TMI, but how close are you to your period? And she's like, very close. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, I felt great the first couple of days. I said, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> but now as you're getting close to your period, this can be what happens. So we talked about, you know, B vitamins and electrolytes and, you know, talking to a practitioner and what have you. But again, this doesn't affect every I woman. I know, there's, I know there's women that are listening that are go, oh, that doesn't really, that doesn't affect me. I'm like, great. But if it does, um, be aware. So I love that you were willing to do that. So it sounded to me like you were going to say, oh, you should just eat some carbs, but you allowed her to stick with her goal and showed her some alternate solutions. That's great. That's really awesome. Again, I try not to be dogmatic with the path, right? But if the person chose to be keto, that's awesome that you kind of thought on, well, how can I support her goal? Yeah. Well, and especially because we know, for example, when it comes to mood, um, uh, serotonin, dopamine, GABA, these all are brain neurotransmitters. Um, they work on, you know, protein, as you know, is very important to them. So tryptophan, tyrosine, but a lot of B vitamins like B6 in particular, uh, play a big role. And so I wouldn't, the reason I said, Hey, maybe, you know, bump up your B vitamins, specifically look at B6 because as you're not getting these carbs, um, to help it's possible, um, you need, you actually just need more, more B vitamins. You want to stay in the keto. You want to stay in the reset program that you paid for. But let's try to help you out. Knowing what I know, let's try to help you out and improve, improve the mood a little bit more. And there's other things, you know, that we can do to even circumvent that. You know, people, some people will take 5-HTP or they will take tryptophan or they will take GABA or they will take theanine to try to, you know, get around some of these symptoms, which is yeah. fine too. But I wasn't actually her doctor. So <laughs> as her friend, I was like, well, you know, increased electrolytes, consider adding in B vitamins, which she hadn't been doing so. Awesome. Now, how does a, a long-term ketogenic diet impact the female's hormones? 
Honestly, I find that it really depends on the female, much like anything else. I have colleagues in the space who are long-term keto. They don't often ever get out of keto and they're doing just fine. And I have other colleagues um, who or step out of keto kind of that week of PMS and do add in more carbs because they felt awful. They were actually having terrible PMS or um, terrible periods. They didn't feel right. Uh, They felt great the other two to three weeks. Wonderful. um, But just not that week. And so I tell women, the only, we honestly don't fully know until you get into it and and try it. And, And then we adjust from there. I can tell you what the experts say and the experts suggest, but it doesn't mean it's going to fit you. Right. So someone who isn't hugely familiar with female hormones, what other questions should I be asking that would be important for myself or the audience to know? So the great thing about hormones and, and, and women um, are is that they usually know. They don't know the finer details, but they will say to you, you will say to them, do you feel hormonal? And they'll go, yeah. And they'll tell you, they'll outline it for you. Yes, I feel it all the time. Yes, I feel it here. Yes, I feel it there. Yes, these are the symptoms that I get. So the umbrella term of hormonal is actually really quite helpful. What they mean generally is estrogen and progesterone. But what we say in our society is hormonal. How are you feeling? Are you feeling like your hormones are out of whack? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so just asking that question about hormones as an umbrella can be really insightful um, that, you know, like, okay, she knows her body best and she feels hormonal or she notices it on a cycle. She, you know, once a month, these things are happening and then we have to dig a little deeper. The other thing, the second thing is, have you ever had a hormonal workup? Because sometimes they will say, oh yeah, I had a full workup, quote unquote, um, and everything was fine. But as we know, a full workup that maybe um, an acute care practitioner does and a full hormone workup that I would do are probably different. Good. And, and, and I, want, I want everyone listening to feel empowered. If you don't feel fine, um, even though you were told you were fine, I bet you didn't have as full of a workup or at the correct timing um, that you would hope for. And let's, let's go back to the drawing board and do that again. Supplements or supplement protocols you suggest? For just general women's health, it doesn't have to necessarily be optimization of hormones, but specific to just, hey, you should be thinking about this stuff to be healthy. One of the big ones, I like B vitamins. I've already given this. That's probably yeah. my favorite, right? So whether it's, you know, eating, I know some people eat, uh, they're trying to eat for nutrition. Maybe they're eating grass-fed liver instead, or maybe they're like, are you kidding me? No way. Just give me the pill. So take you know, B vitamins can be really helpful. Uh, cellular health is really helpful. So whether that is good quality omega threes, choline, um, phosphatidylcholine, which is really helpful for the cell membrane or, around the cell, um, really helpful. I mentioned mitochondria. Um, it's now known that the mitochondria make their own melatonin. Internally, they, they keep it in there. Melatonin, we think about for sleep, you know, it's also primarily made in the, in the gut, in our intestines, but all our mitochondria actually make it as well because it's such a powerful antioxidant. And so not necessarily a supplement, but make sure you're getting enough sleep. <laughs> you can help produce the production of melatonin. Uh, one of the enzymes is activated in the dark when you go to sleep. Um, but maybe even, you know, if it's necessary, if it's warranted, if it's something you're working on with your practitioner, you might need a little bit of melatonin or 
other antioxidants, right? Other things that make glutathione, things like vitamin E, things like vitamin C, um, N-acetylcysteine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, antioxidants are really important because the ovaries lift heavy with the mitochondria. Making hormones requires a lot of mitochondrial usage, which means you're going to make as a byproduct free radicals. And so making sure you're either eating the rainbow, if that works for your plan, or taking support that are good for antioxidants um, are is really helpful. And then magnesium. Magnesium is another really, really big one. I feel like as humans, we're all pretty well deplete of magnesium. We use it up very quickly. Magnesium, magnesium is used as a cofactor for so much in the body, including uh, female stuff. And so um, those are some of my just sort of off the cuff. There, I mean, there are herbs, you know, they're definitely like female specific herbs, but they also apply differently, you know, depending there's, I don't, there's not like one herb to rule them all. (laughs) There are are a lot that can be helpful across the board. Um, But I think at a baseline, the uh, electrolytes, minerals, the bees, cellular health, like that's what I'm going for. Let's go for the basics. Men without a worthy adversary become soft, become weak, which is very much demonstrated in our in our youth, right? In our younger generations. And, and to be honest, probably even uh, people as, as uh, old as or young as me. I think it's important to acknowledge that we have to, as men and women also, be intentional about subjecting ourselves to worthy adversary or multiple adversarial relationships. And that doesn't necessarily mean human adversary, right? That means uh, something that is an intentionally curated challenge and an obstacle. And what I find is within my coaching program, these guys, when I, when I speak about this stuff, these guys are, are very much in agreement that uh, I can take the reins and intentionally subject them to stuff that they don't want to do, and they just do it. And this, to me, is what sets the people that succeed apart from the people that don't, is many people who you know, ultimately don't succeed in things, when they feel something becoming difficult... They have an excuse. They have a reason why they can't do it. You know, ah, my knee hurts. Ah, you know, like my back hurts, or I'm tired, or you know, I'm not right. And your body, your brain, subconsciously or consciously, is looking for excuses. And listen, there's definitely some real excuses out there. But in general, your brain is the governor of your thoughts, of your life, and of your outcomes. And uh, the second you decide it's going to be hard, it will be. And so what I notice in these these gentlemen that I work with, and all the guys I'm working with are, you know, 35 plus, some guys in their mid-60s who are crushing it. And I just love to see this. And so what I do as a coach, and this is relevant whether you're a coach or you're an athlete, or and I call all my clients athletes. If your objective is I want to look great, I want to feel great, I want to perform well, then you're an athlete and treat you like a pro athlete, right? We we treat you like an Olympic athlete, and and that's or any type of professional athlete. That's important. And this this mindset that our high achievers take on is, coach, you determine what my weakest link is and let's address that. And so we're, we're always objectively and subjectively walking through, uh, well, what am I good at? Right? That's great. Let's assess that. Let's know what those are because those are sometimes our greatest, they are certainly our greatest opportunities for hard work or sorry, output. Um, we want to generate output, right? We need to generate work. We need to generate metabolic stress. We need to de- generate metabolic damage. We need to generate 
force output, strength, that's important. So we're looking for things that you or I am able to do with ease, discomfort, and effort. And then there's this other column of things that, you know, we'll call it skill acquisition. We can call it, you know, ultimately increasing our circle of competence or circle of capability and becoming more effective. And so we have to be honest with ourselves. And sometimes many people, one, don't have the knowledge or two, have a hard time being completely honest with themselves, right? And it's the idea of like looking in the shadow, right? Looking in in those areas you don't want to see, looking at the places that you're hiding, right? These are the people that succeed, the people that are willing to be completely vulnerable with what they look like, what they feel like, and what they're capable of, realizing that they're willing to do the work, right? If you're not willing to be vulnerable, it's likely because unconsciously you know you're not willing to do what it takes to succeed. And I understand why this is happening in many people. I mean, everyone, this, it's very complex, I'm sure. But uh, in many instances, people have a, a huge degree of pain over judgment or over having failed in the past, and they believe that their past failures determine their future outcomes. I'm going to say that again. They believe their past failures determine their future outcomes, and they absolutely do not. Your past failures do not in any way determine your future outcomes, provided you are willing to follow a plan, you are willing to execute and follow through, and simply focusing on today rather than yesterday or tomorrow. And you know, our uh, great friend Andrew Huberman talks about that a lot. That as humans, we have the, the the cognitive capacity to be in two places at once, right? So you can have uh, two focuses. And he says most people are thinking about the future and then thinking about the past. They put the workout they have to do tomorrow, or the top of the mountain. Oh my God, there's it's so far. Or they're thinking about you know the the thing that happened before that slowed them down, or the failure they've had in the past that ultimately is in some way impeding their future, which absolutely it's not. And the key to overcoming this, ladies and gentlemen, is being in the here and the now, right? And if you have two places to be, you want to be inside your body and outside of your body. And so right here, as I'm inside of my body, I'm focusing on my breath. I'm focusing on my feet on the floor. I'm focusing on my, my postural position at my pelvis. I'm maybe focusing on my breath cadence. And this is the concept of interoception. And I want to talk a little bit more about that because it's extremely important. One of the most important things I teach to my clients, I think, in the time that we spend together is this concept. And I'll explain why. I am explaining why, I guess. And extraception is the ability to sense and perceive the environment around it, right? So the heat, the light, the sounds, um, the smells. And so why I think interoception is one of the greatest things that you can uh, accomplish or work on in life is because I work with a lot of people who um, have a hard time getting out of their head. Does anyone here listening have a hard time getting out of their head, right? I have a hard time going to sleep or I have, a, you know, I'll get really anxious or I'll, you know, just be really very much in my head. I'll be thinking about this, I'll be thinking about that. And ultimately I don't get the things done I need to get done. So, well, guess what? When you're in your head, that's an inevitability, And when you're in your body, it's a near impossibility, right? And to me, this is one of the primary objectives of meditation, isn't it? It's to, I mean, people say, hey, you got to stop thinking. You'll never stop thinking. That's the point. The point of meditation is to connect deeply first with what you feel on the inside, then what the extraception is, or the external world is telling you, the extraception sensations, we'll say. Uh, and ultimately be able to be present in those for extended periods of time. So why I think this is relevant is twofold. One, exercise 
is your greatest daily opportunity to train this concept or this skill of interoception. So my ability to feel what's happening in my body, posturally, breathing, muscle contraction, muscle tone, just separate to this reality of, hey, that's going to get you out of your head. It's going to allow you to live a calm, centered existence. There's also additional benefit specific to longevity, specific to moving well, that is never, as far as I've been around, spoken about. And so if you've ever been part of my coaching, you've heard this conversation before, but it's relevant for everyone listening. In life, movement is a dynamic dance, we'll say, a dynamic uh, interplay between contraction and relaxation, right? In order for me to move, I have to contract, I have to relax, I have to contract, I have to relax, right? And that's, you know, think of that like a dance. And I call that then the next level of contraction and relaxation is rigidity, right? We're creating some level of rigidity and that's a sliding scale. It can be really rigid or it can be not so rigid. And then the other side of the rigidity is fluid, right? Fluidity. So I need to create rigidity and fluidity. And fluidity may be interpreted as mobility. It may be interpreted as the ability to move smoothly through space. And so think of this dance between rigidity and fluidity as far as maybe a boxer, right? Muhammad Ali felt like a butterfly, thing like a bee, right? He's moving well. He's, he's, he's juking, he's jiving, and then bam, snap, contract, right? And think of a dancer where they're very, very fluid and they're moving really well. So bam, they hit something hard and it's impactful. And exercise is no different. And exercise is, and, and, and any human movement is no different. This is really important. I'll explain why. We have to start defining then what you guys would say are the greatest levers for longevity, right? So you obviously mentioned uh, heart rate as being an indicator. You mentioned sirtuins. You mentioned sleep. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if you just could, would go down a list to start identifying maybe the internal blood markers or the whatever the, whatever comes to mind when when you're thinking like, hey, these internal signals or, or markers are most correlated with longevity. Therefore, if we uh, optimize for these, we know we're going to have positive outcomes. Yeah. So it's, it's a very good question. And for uh, our product, InnerEdge, what we've done, we looked at uh, our blood biomarker that we are testing, and we are testing uh, a bit more than 40 blood biomarkers, and try to see which biomarkers are changing with, with age, basically either going up or going down with age. Okay. And then we said, if they are going up, and let's assume that, Ben, you are uh, below the, the, the graph, meaning for your age, uh, let's say that your glucose is 75, but uh, the mean of InstaTracker population is 85. And let me, uh, for a second, define the InstaTracker population. Our population is really a healthy population. So it's not like we don't have sick people. We yeah. are uh, uh, telling everyone that want to use InstaTracker, it's only for healthy. So we have... Uh, in a way, Ben is competing. Your competition is harder than looking at something else because if you look at the normal population, you have a lot of sick people or not healthy people. For us, it's very healthy. So if you are below, that means that you're already better than the, uh, the, the better. It's like uh, you are closer to superhuman, let's say, than someone that is not in a tracker. And then if you are below, we can come and say, hey, uh, because this marker is going up and you're below, that means that uh, uh, you are uh, basically younger for this biomarker uh, uh, um, for your inner age. And then we are looking at uh, uh, around 16 blood biomarkers and combining all together. So if you think about blood biomarkers that are important for longevity, it's not uh, 
uh, surprise that marker like uh, fasting glucose and A1C. A1C is a marker that basically look at, a, a, let's say, the average level of uh, glucose that you had in your body for the last 90 days. And uh, markers such as LDL cholesterol and uh, markers such as inflammation markers and the uh, Um, and the uh, 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 other hormones, all of that together giving us some uh, indication about uh, your age. So that's one thing that uh, you can definitely look at and uh, uh, related to longevity. Then you mentioned all the physiological markers. So uh, uh, markers such as uh, resting heart rate that basically show uh, your fitness and your stress. HRV, which uh, I'm sure that you discuss in your podcast uh, 50,000 times. is another one. VO2 max is, a, is another one. So basically, I call it a physiological marker. Okay? Yeah. And then you have more like a phenotypical marker, um, like a grip uh, strength. It's something that uh, if you look at a, a, a scientist that studied aging, that's a, a very important marker that uh, actually uh, define uh, how uh, fit you are, is the grip strength. Yeah. Another one is a walking speed. So, uh, um, by the way, I, I started a podcast called Longevity by Design that we, are, interviewed. we are interviewing uh, the best and the greatest in, uh, in aging research. And recently, like last week, I interviewed uh, Roger Fielding, which is a professor at Tufts that uh, studied uh, exercise physiology in uh, uh, aging population. And uh, uh, he mentioned that another marker that I, I wasn't aware about it, but it's interesting, he said walking speed is another indicator of hmm. a, a, a long longevity of, or fit. I think so quality you, of movement, right? Like that's what, that's what I teach is like quality. Yeah. If you think of someone in their old age and you think of someone who moves really well, that has to be the number one thing correlated with longevity, right? Quality yeah, exactly. Of yeah. Exactly. Because you can move, you, can, you are more... Uh, And also, if you think about it, exercise is making you happier and relaxed. And um, so, so walking speed, I was very happy because I'm a fast walker. So I said, oh, great, I might live long. <laughs> But yeah, so, so, so uh, uh, what I'm saying, there are the, those phenotypic uh, information. And then uh, you can look at uh, some more, let's say, sophisticated method to, uh, to try to predict longevity. So I'm sure that you heard about Horvath's clock or epigenetic uh, clock. So yes. those are a, a newer clock that can, uh, I think that they can predict your age very well. It's still not clear what is the mechanism, why the epigenetic connected to uh, your age. And also another problem that you have with them that I, I'm trying to uh, figure out, it's how can you make it actionable? Because let's assume that, uh, uh, let's assume, Ben, that you are 20 and your epigenetic age is uh, 25, okay? What Ben can do in order to uh, modify it? Today yep. is not clear. So what uh, uh, I'm trying to do is to build an epigenetic clock that will be lifestyle responsive. So basically to train it in a way that uh, we will uh, build the uh, epigenetic clock based on a... Uh, uh, experiment of uh, someone that eat a, a healthy diet versus not healthy diet, someone that exercise versus not exercising, someone that uh, lose weight versus uh, someone that have a high BMI. So a lot of things like that. And then you build basically lifestyle, resp hopefully lifestyle responsive epigenetic clock. And then we can come and uh, come to you, Ben, and say, hey, Ben, you are five years older because A, B, C, and D. 
And in order to improve it, the, the best intervention for you is, uh, I don't know, to exercise more, okay? So it will be very similar to the inner age that we built together with uh, Lenny Garant and David Sinclair, that basically we can uh, uh, break it down to a pieces and come and tell you, hey, uh, you are, Gil, you are five years older, but the reason for that is mainly glucose, and in order to improve glucose, you need to eat more fiber, you need to exercise more, you need to sleep better, and so on. So that's an ad- another... Uh, a, a, I think nice way to uh, to estimate longevity and also then uh, give some uh, intervention for that. You can only have two conscious points of attention at a time. And my suggestion is while you're training, they're in the here and the now. They're not in the future, what I have to do later and the shit that I'm stressed about and the stuff that I forgot to do in the past or potentially my failures in the past, how I haven't been good at this exercise, how I haven't been good at this program, how I've always been fat my whole life or how I've always been skinny my whole life. All of that melts away and all I can focus on is what's happening inside of my body. Right. And so the greatest advantage that I have over everyone else in training is the depth of intentionality that I can take with me into the gym in my ability to stay present in a set, in a workout, and ultimately take a set much further than most people ever will. And not just, not just how hard I can push myself, but how much tension I can intentionally generate within a muscle. So it's, effectiveness. So what we're trying to do, ladies and gents, is we're trying to take that 60 minutes, that 90 minutes, that two hours you're already spending in the gym or that 40 minutes you're already spending in the gym and increase the effectiveness of it. So now if I were to do that exact same practice and I would say, okay, let's take that practice and let's impart that on a bicep curl or a squat or a deadlift, you could do the exact same thing, right? And it's bringing your attention into the breath It's bringing your attention into the body and feeling what you feel on the inside of your body while you're training. Most of you guys, when you train, have an external focus. How much weight is in the bar? How many dumbbells are in my hand? Or how much the weight is? How many reps I'm doing? All that stuff is secondary. It's not unimportant. I won't say that it's unimportant. It is important, but it's secondary to how much tension is being directed to the muscle I'm trying to train. Okay. So this is really important stuff. Now, this is, this is the foundation. Like if I could give you guys, the reason I start with this, if I can give you guys one thing to take away, it's this, here's why, you know, why the, you know, why a lot of people don't do this. People like Ronnie Coleman doesn't do this and all these other professional bodies, you know, they don't do it because it's hard. If anyone, if any of you guys have ever followed my stuff or executed the way I train, it's really, really hard. You know, where it's hard, not physically, yes, physically, but mentally. It's, it's really challenging mentally in the beginning to take this information and apply it to what you do. You know why? It requires you slow down. It requires you be present and you no longer sling shit from point A to point B, right? Which is what most people do. Most people go in the gym and they do the least possible work they can, which is why they get the least imaginable results, right? Most people, how many of you guys have been in the gym for you know, longer than two years and are unhappy with your results? In general, do you feel as though you could get more results or you sh- maybe you deserve more results for the amount of time and effort you're putting in? Anybody? 
Yeah, most guys, yeah, yeah, man, I do. Yeah, it's because your effectiveness is low. You're this is this is and this important to know, it's not your fault, right? Your body, the human body is such a beautiful, elegant design. You're designed to make things easier, you're designed to survive. Your body has has evolved over millions of years to make things easier for you. When I do a pull-up, your body goes, get me from here to there, not challenge my lats, right? Or our mindset needs to shift. So that introduces the next concept I want to talk about. Challenge versus completion. Okay. So what is challenge? Seek challenge, not completion. So when you're doing a any particular exercise, you guys can do one set and make it exponentially more beneficial when you simply seek to challenge the muscle maximally at every inch of every rep. The results are exponentially greater. So in every workout, there's subjective and objective variables. Subjective variables is, well, what are you thinking about? Subjective variables are, where's your focus? It's, you know, are are you intentionally contracting this muscle? These are subjective. Objective are the things like, uh, you know, the programming variables, volume, and intensity and frequency and density and load. Those are all um, objective variables. We're going to talk about objective variables too. But first, I think the thing that people miss are the subjective variables. How do we then take this and apply it to everything we do, right? One of the hardest things to do in the gym, and this is going to sound funny to you, but this is one of the hardest things to do, or one of the, um, one of the gaps, one of the deficiencies that I see, you know, also say this. I've been very blessed in my life to travel the world. You know, I've traveled to a lot of countries, trained in a lot of gyms, seen a lot of people train, and I observe everyone. And I never, I never am critical. I'm always uh, complimentary, and I do my best to offer advice and guidance when people want it. And what I'll tell you is, 95% of men, maybe a 98, are simply not getting it done in the gym. Right? You're not getting the results you want because you're simply not getting it done in the gym. All those excuses you have around your genetics and your time and nutrition is all bullshit. You, if you're honest with yourself, you're not getting it done in the gym. And how do I know? Is because when people train with me for three months, their body changes. And if you're if you're not getting it done in the gym, if I can't help you, so I can't I can't do everything online, right? I can't always help people 100 if I'm not standing there with you. But 90 percent of the people I work with, the, the changes are astronomical if they simply follow the plan, right? So in the only cases, the only exceptions are injuries or people who don't follow the plan. So the reality is, and I want you guys to take ownership for this. Be honest with yourself if you're not getting it done in the gym, right? And here's the the catch. Standards are subjective, right? How many people see people on social media or in their gym and they're like, oh man, I crushed it today. I had an absolute killer workout. No, you fucking didn't. Like, no, you didn't, right? Compared to what? Right? That's always the reality. And, and the reality is that most people are comparing themselves to a very low standard. And I hope each and every one of you guys leaves today with a higher standard, right? And one of the gifts that I've been imparted with in my life is like, I surround myself with exceptional humans. People in my coaching are truly exceptional humans. And like, I'm inspired by the people I get to work with. Like, and, and they, they lift me to a higher standard. And I hope I do the same for them. And the reality is, guys, this world is soft and weak and accepting of mediocrity. 
And if you are, then you're always going to accept a mediocre standard for yourself. And my suggestion to you right now is you say enough of that, right? Enough of that and, and increase your standard, right? And so how do we do that? How do we increase our standard? Well, hard work is an absolute necessity, right? Work hard on something every day. So ladies and gents, thank you for being here. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your ear. I appreciate your trust. I realize there's thousands and thousands, if not millions of podcasts out there now, and you continually choose this one. And I don't take that lightly. I hope to bring you, continuously bring you new and amazing and insightful, valuable information on how to ultimately live your greatest life in a body you love. So if there's some specific topic you want to hear from me, head over to Instagram and leave me a message. You can send me a DM. You can also leave us a review, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, or on Spotify, and tell us. Uh, what you want to know, which, who you want to hear us talk to, what, what conversations you want to hear us have. And I don't ever want to continually have the same people over and over again, but, uh, you know, so I'm continuously looking for great guests to bring you the best information in the world. So ladies and gents, without further ado from me, uh, I really hope you enjoy the podcast. I really hope you're having an amazing day. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for making the time. Uh, it's truly an honor, truly a privilege to continue to be able to do this and bring you the best information from the world's brightest humans. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.